Welcome into Lockdown Blackhawks for Tuesday, December 10th, 2019. Two days away from my birthday. Send me a present. I'm just kidding. That's ridiculous. My name is Jay Zawoski. I am the host of Lockdown Blackhawks, which is why I'm talking to you on Lockdown Blackhawks. That's kind of the point. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. You've got a team aside from the Blackhawks. Chances are there's a Lockdown Podcast for them. And uh, every Chicago team is covered as far as the Bears, Cubs, Sox, and Bulls go. Locked On has you covered. Today is Talk Back Tuesday. We've got some listener questions, some listener emails. It's also game day. The Vegas Golden Knights and the Blackhawks square off tonight at 9 p.m., which means I got to do Wednesday's Locked On at like 1 a.m., which sucks, but it's all for you people who I love so much who have supported me through 51 Podcast Plus now. So, anyway. Before we get to uh, all the news of the day and to your questions, I want to tell you how to get in touch. Twitter, at LO underscore Blackhawks. Email, LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. If you want to follow my personal account on Twitter, it's at jzawoski 670 There you can also find the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, my other Hawks podcast. New episode came out Monday afternoon, so check that out at Madhouse Pod. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe to all podcasts you love, but especially mine, because those are the ones I care about the most. All right, before we get into Talk Back Tuesday, a couple news and notes from Monday. First and foremost, Adam Boquist and Matthew Highmore have been recalled. They will be most likely, at least Boquist most likely, will be in the lineup tonight against Vegas. Andrew Shaw placed on long-term injured reserve, retroactive to the 30th, which I believe means he'd be eligible to come back on the 27th against the New York Islanders. Still no change with Duncan Keith. All we know is he is not traveling with the Blackhawks on this road trip. Vegas uh, tonight, Arizona Thursday, St. Louis Saturday. The Hawks are home again on Sunday. So the most realistic, well, I don't know if it's the most realistic, but the soonest you'll see Duncan Keith back in the Hawks lineup appears to be Sunday against the Minnesota Wild. Then later in the week, they have Colorado, Winnipeg, Colorado. So it'd be good if Duncan Keith could come back and play because they're going to need him coming up here. So with Boquist here, um, it's a good thing. Everyone knows I'm Team Boquist. I've wanted him here from the beginning. I think he is certainly one of the Blackhawks' six best defensemen. But I wonder how this is going to shake out without Duncan Keith to sort of play babysitter for Adam Boquist. Connor Murphy has to take care of Eric Gustafson. It's going to be very interesting to see how it goes when Bogus is in the lineup. They had an optional skate on Monday, so we didn't get to see any line previews or anything like that. So it's going to be uh, find out game day what the lines are, what the pairings are, and uh, really interested but excited to see Adam Bogus back in the lineup. He's going to bring some added speed, some added scoring punch, and hopefully a bit of a different look to the Blackhawks, especially offensively. You know what's crazy? As I did the Madhouse podcast on Monday, uh, with my partner James Devoe, we were talking about the situation, the call-ups and Duncan Keith and all those things. And Andrew Shaw, it like barely moved the needle for us. We barely spent a second talking about it. And for all the expectations we had, I guess I should speak for myself because not everybody was in love with the idea, but I really like the idea. Really hasn't amounted to much, has it? He's been fine. He's provided some depth and some grit and some of the things they needed. And he's been a decent piece on the power play. But it, it just, I don't feel like anyone is stressed out that Andrew Shaw's out. And I don't know, when we evaluate the season and we look back on it 
in April or May or June or whenever it may be, you got to kind of look at these things like one piece by piece. It was Andrew Shaw worth bringing back for what he's contributed to the team. I don't know. Maybe. And there's a lot of season to go. There's no doubt about that. But I don't know. It just seemed sort of like, oh, yeah, and by the way, Andrew Shaw is on long-term injured reserve. Meh. All right. I don't know. I, th- I feel like a guy who makes that much money and you gave up that much to get should feel like more of a loss. And maybe it's because of the uh, the Hawks' offense has been okay and they can score some goals so it doesn't feel like you know, it's really going to cost them that much. And maybe it's overshadowed by the fact that Duncan Keith is out. But, I don't know, it just kind of felt weird that the Andrew Shaw thing was just such a non-story. I had, I felt myself having very little reaction to that news. And that doesn't bode well for what Andrew Shaw has brought to the team. Interested to see if you guys sort of feel the same way. You can always hit me up, LockdownBlackHawks at gmail.com, at LO underscore Blackhawks on Twitter. With that, let's begin the Talk Back Tuesday segment with a voicemail from Thomas. Hey, Jay. This is Thomas DeCaro, uh, currently living in Phoenix, Arizona, originally from Chicago. When do you think we will re-sign Strom? As you can see, after last night's game and throughout the season, uh, that Strom is needed for Dabrinka and just gives us more center depth. When do you think the Blackhawks will resign him, or do you think this is going to be uh, at the end of the season? Thomas, thanks so much for the voicemail. Again, if you want to leave a voicemail, 708-653-0572. Going into this season, this summer, Dylan Strom's contract was a big concern for me. It was something I was afraid they might not be able to get done. I didn't know how much it was going to cost. There were there was definitely some concern on my end about the affordability of Strom, especially as it pertained to Alex Dabrinkit. How much money was Alex Dabrinkit going to demand is a free agent as well. The fact that Debrinket signed for six point four million for three years that kicks in obviously next season. I don't see a scenario where Dylan Strom makes more than six, probably five point four, five point seven in that range. He's never put up numbers like Alex Debrinket has, especially goal scoring wise. I think that you're going to see his deal be lower than DeBrinket's, and I'm comfortable with that. So I don't feel the urgency to get that deal done like I did with DeBrinket because I had fear, and now maybe in hindsight they should have waited, but I had fear that DeBrinket was going to pot 50 goals this year and become a you know, eight, nine, ten million dollar player. So when I saw 6.4 million, I felt really good about that. That's an affordable deal, and while it's not probably as long as you would like it to be, Debrinket's going to get that big money in 2023-24 when that deal's done. But even when that deal's done, he's a restricted free agent. I would think you're going to see Strom at the same length, a three-year deal, somewhere between five and a half, five point eight million million, $5.8 million, and I'd be comfortable with that. I've seen enough this season to know that last season wasn't a fluke, and when he came back a couple games ago, he didn't miss a beat. I thought he played really well, and I think he's a very important part of what the Blackhawks are doing now and going forward to have him at 22 to bring hit at 21 Nylander at 21 high Moore's 23. He was just recalled Kirby doc is 18. Even Dominic Kubelik is only 24. You've got some good young players on this team and Strom to bring it and doc to me are the core of that going forward. 
but there are still, you know, some holes that need to be filled. But I'm I'm not overly concerned with Dylan Strom's upcoming contract as much as I was a few months ago. Talk Back Tuesday continues here on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. It's never too early to submit a question, lockdownblackhawks at gmail.com or the voicemail 708-653-0572, 708-653-0572. Some listeners choose to record a voice memo on their phone and email it to lockdownblackhawks at gmail.com. That usually sounds really, really good, really pristine. It does not sound like a phone line. So if you'd rather do that, very simple. Go ahead and do that and send us a voicemail, lockdownblackhawks at gmail.com. Next up, we're going to do an email here from Jason. He says, if the Hawks cannot look playoff worthy, let alone hope for the future worthy, what kind of haul could the Hawks get for moving a player like Leonard before the deadline? Leonard clearly wants to play for a contender and is likely not to resign with this team in the offseason, barring a dramatic turnabout. He's been the best Hawk this year, but how can you just let him walk with the kind of season he's having? That's a good question, Jason. And as the season goes on here, and if the Hawks continue to fall in the standings or remain, actually remain, or there's not much more to fall, that's something they should definitely consider. I love Robin Leonard. I would like him to be the Blackhawks goalie for the next few years, but there's no reason they can't trade him at the deadline and then re-sign him as a free agent. If they want to do it ahead of time and maybe save some money, cool. But if you get to the deadline and they don't have a deal worked out with Robin Leonard, or at least like a handshake, hey, when the offseason hits, we'll figure something out kind of a deal, then they should consider moving on from Robin Leonard. If they're not in playoff contention, if they're not in a hunt, then you've got to make that move. The problem is when you look at the standings in the NHL, everything is so bunched up that it's almost hard to be totally out of it. You know, we've been feeling not great about the Blackhawks lately, right? The shootout loss to the Arizona. I know they've won two in a row before that, but right now they're third from last in the Western Conference with 30 points. But the, the second wild card spot has 34 points. So it's not like they're far out of it. And yeah, they have one, two, three, four, five teams to leapfrog to get to that spot. But four points is two wins. That's nothing. Dallas has the first wild card spot, 37 points. Third place in the Central Division is 38 points for, with Winnipeg. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Hawks get back in this. Maybe they make a deal at the deadline to improve maybe Duncan Keith come back comes back healthy maybe with Adam Boquist here you see the Hawks take a step and become a more competitive team there's a lot of things that can play out between now and then but you're right losing Leonard for nothing wouldn't be great but if you're still in it and you still feel like you can get in a playoff spot I think you're going to value just getting in over what potential return they can get for Robin Leonard. Next question on Talkback Tuesday here on Lockdown Blackhawks is a voicemail from Alex. Hey, Jay. This is Alex from Chicago. Uh, I'm calling in uh, regards to the Blackhawks schedule. The schedule seems to be pretty brutal so far, uh, not just in terms of the difficulty, but also in terms of the intensity. They've had a couple home-and-homes, and and then um, they've had three games. They'll have three games in the past three days against Boston, New Jersey, and then back to Chicago. Then they have to go to Vegas on Tuesday. I'm wondering if there's any reason for that or if it's just bad luck, bad draw kind of thing. Uh, and also, does that play into 
you know, some of the injuries that we've been seeing lately. Thanks for taking my call. Alex, thanks for the message. I, I know a lot of people get worked up about the schedule, and all I can assume, and this might be a dangerous assumption knowing the National Hockey League and how backwards they are on a lot of things, all I can imagine is they plug this all into a computer with arena availability, and they hit enter, and the computer creates a schedule that is the most beneficial to all teams. I don't think it's a room of old dudes with cigars and these stereotypical boxes of Chinese food on the table trying to work out a schedule or screw people over. At this point, it's all computer generated. And while you're right, there have been some really not ideal situations. Uh, like, for instance, coming up next week, the Hawks play home against Colorado on Wednesday. Then they travel to play the Jets on Thursday night. Then back to Colorado for a game on Saturday. That's three games in four nights, and there's a road trip in there. That That's tough. That's not easy. I know Chicago to Winnipeg isn't the end of the world, but to play a tough division game, get in a plane, play another tough division game the next day, and then leave there and play Colorado two days later, that's not ideal. So, yeah, the schedule has not been their friend. I will take this over the circus trip. Because that seemed, unless they were, you know, sure the 2010s Dynasty Hawks handled it because they handled everything because they were awesome. Um, But historically, that was a really bad thing for the Blackhawks. So I'm glad that's over for the most part. But yeah, the schedule's not been kind, but I I don't think there's any sort of concerted effort to make it more difficult on the Blackhawks versus any other sort of team. The other thing, does it play a role in injuries? It certainly doesn't help. They've had a lot of back-to-backs, a lot of home-and-homes this year. And travel's a grind, and I know that people don't want to hear it when they see those salaries, but yeah, these guys are paid a lot of money, That there's no doubt, but they're still human. Travel still affects them, probably not as much as it would affect you or me, but it does play a role. And if guys are tired, they're not getting a good night's sleep, they're not getting in their bed until 2, 3 in the morning, and then they're expected to play the next day, that's tough for anybody to overcome. So yeah, I do think it could play a role in some of the injuries we've been seeing. Thanks for the question. We're going to go back to the emails for the next question from our guy, Travis Barker. The great drummer from Blink-182. Is it Blink-182? I don't know. It's not actually him. Anyway, he says, for this goalie tandem, I can't say enough about them. Is there any way at all, in any scenario whatsoever, we can get both these guys for another year? Right or wrong, perceived or real, good or bad, both guys have a history that could turn off some teams. That's that's a good point. Um, especially with Crawford. I, I don't know. I feel like if Corey Crawford is not a Blackhawk next season, he's probably out of the game. I don't think you're going to see Corey Crawford relocate his family to another city for a low salary contract because no one's going to pay him big money. Even if he continues on the path he's had this year, he's 36 years old. He's had devastating concussions. Look, the guy's a hit away from never playing again, and teams know that. So I do think there is a scenario where Leonard and Crawford are your goalies next year. You pay Leonard starter money for three years, and you give Crawford a one-year deal And if you're Stan Bowman, it's probably going to be higher than it should be. But maybe it won't be Stan Bowman in April, right? Maybe it'll be a different GM. You pay Crawford $1 million, $2 million to be the backup, and you have a tandem you feel really good about the next season. Good question. It is Talkback Tuesday here on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Jay Zawoski. You know that. You're listening to the podcast. We thank you very much. For listening to Lockdown Blackhawks, if you want to leave a voicemail or email of your own, Lockdown Blackhawks at gmail.com or the voicemail number 
0572. That's rejected, and now Jack's voice is on Lockdown Blackhawks. See how that works? Hey, Jay, what's up? It's Jack. Topic of conversation that I was thinking about was what Dennis Gilbert tends to do. I know his role on this team is to stand up for his teammates, especially when scorers get hit hard. My point is that's only cute and that's only cool when you kill the penalty that follows whatever that hit is. You know, you get into a fight, but if it's an instigator penalty, then it's not cool. It's not cute. Hawks fans are going to be like, wow, we like this guy. He fights all, but if it's an instigator penalty that led to one of the goals and no one's going to talk about that. So I want to know your thoughts on that. Have a good night. If you were listening with headphones on, I'm really sorry about the hip hop air horn, but Jack got me really excited. He left that voicemail before Monday's Lockdown Blackhawks podcast went live, and he's reading my mind, man. Look, we all love, uh, look at the new rookie. He wants to stand up for his teammates. No. Get him later. Finish the hit later. Find Jason Demers skating around in one of his many, many shifts he's going to have during the course of the game. Put a big hit on him. Whisper in his ear, don't do that again, or I'm going to get you again, right? To go get chase a guy down for a fight, get an instigator penalty, which they score on immediately, and then have a 10-minute misconduct, which puts all your teammates in a bad position. You've got Connor Murray 27 minutes. You've got Kelvin DeHaan playing 26 minutes. It's not a good thing. I know it's old school, and I know people love that, and Pat Foley and, to a lesser extent, Eddie Olchek are going to sing the praises of, oh, you know, he's doing the right thing. Look how fired up his teammates are. It almost cost you the game. It might have cost you the game. You're up 3-2. You go get the instigator penalty. Arizona scores right away, and it's 3-3. Then you get to a shootout, and you got Robin Leonard and that for the shootout, and, and that recently has not ended well. Get him later. Hockey is a game designed to let you hit people. And I don't mean punch. I mean finish a hard check on him. The opportunity was going to present itself for Dennis Gilbert and Jason Demers would be on the ice together again. Send your message that way. Send it during the course of play. I'm sorry if you're hearing this for the second time, and I appreciate your loyalty in listening to Lockdown Blackhawks every day, but I railed on this last night. This is... No, this is a backwards way to think. Hockey teams have gotten too smart. They've done the research. They've run the numbers. Fighting doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't. And maybe anecdotally you'd say, well, you know what? Next time Jason Demers sees... Alex DeBrinkett or Patrick Kane, he's going to think twice. Maybe. And I know that's not quantifiable. And I don't live by the only the quantifiable. I know that. I know there's a human element to things. But I know for sure putting a bad penalty killing team on the penalty kill is not a good idea. I also know having a team that's very injured defensively, having to play another defenseman short for 10 minutes is also not good. There's a time and a place. The opportunity will come for you to finish a check on him. And even if, I'm not encouraging this, but if you want to check him extra hard or slash him and get a two-minute penalty, that's less evil than getting the misconduct on top of it. Dennis Gilbert's a guy the Hawks were relying on last night to provide defense and physical play. And while they're all going to say the right things about what he did, it hurt the team. It's go look at the look at the fl- game flow. 
The Hawks had a slight boost, even strength after the fight, and then a huge precipitous cliff drop-off in possession. I'm not saying that losing the fight made Arizona better, but tying the game did. And they it, it allowed them to attack. It was a bad move. It was a bad decision. And look, I'm not going to blame Dennis Gilbert. I'm blaming the guys who tell him, your ticket to the NHL is through your fists right here. I'm giving the old up and down mechanic with my hand, if you know what I mean. You're a physical player. You hit a lot of people. Dennis Gilbert, that's your game. Find them later and get them back. That's the right way to do it. All right, final voicemail of the show before we preview tonight's game against the Golden Knights comes from Brian. Hi, Jay. This is Brian Warren from DeKalb, Illinois. I'd like to get your take on Jonathan Taze in regards to how much he complains pretty much every time he gets a penalty or gets tossed from the faceoff circle. I've always thought he complains too often in these circumstances, but this season it seems like it's every single time. I love Taves and his game, but this one aspect absolutely drives me crazy. What do you think about it? Thanks. Brian, thanks for the voicemail, and I can't really disagree with you. Um, he does goes palms up a lot uh, on faceoffs and on penalties, and most of the time when you review what happened, he was guilty. Last night's penalty in overtime, or Sunday night's penalty in overtime, was a key example. He's like, what did I do? You slashed the guy in the offensive zone while you were on the power play. That's what you did, and that's why you're in the penalty box. And I can't tell you how many people today sent me the video of Jonathan Taves yelling at Jeremy at or to. I'm not going to assume that they were arguing, but sending me the video of Taves complaining about something to Jeremy Cowton on the bench. And again, I'm not going to read into it because our minds can take us where we want it to take us sometimes, right? We've got preconceived notions about relationships, be them correct or incorrect, that steer our imagination in a direction that maybe it shouldn't go. And I'm hyper aware of that. So that could have been nothing. That could have been Cowton and Taves agreeing on something. Like, wow, the ref really screwed you. Yes, he did. He effing did. Whatever, right? From a distance, it looks bad. But you're connecting all these dots of, you know, what you saw on the bench, what you're seeing on the ice, you're seeing Taves complain a lot. And it's one thing to say, like, well, you know, he's won three Stanley Cups and a Conn Smythe and gold medals and World Junior Championships and all these great things, and he's earned the benefit of the doubt. But again, the stuff he's doing is penalty worthy or is, or is you know, warrants him getting thrown out of the faceoff dot. I'm sorry. Like, I get, like, maybe the benefit of the doubt if it's borderline. The stuff he's been doing has not been borderline. And the other thing is, yeah, he had three points Sunday night against Arizona. And that was great. Played a really good game. But he's not been the player that he's been in the past. I don't like what I'm seeing from Taves as far as the body language goes and the on-ice behavior goes and the way he's, you know, if he was indeed snapping at Jeremy Collin, if that was the case, knock that off. Look, I called for Cowan to be fired a month ago. I'm no Jeremy Cowan fan by any means, but that's your coach. You're the captain of the team. Even if you disagree with how he's coaching you, it's your job to play within the system until he's fired. And if you don't, tough crap, man. I, I don't feel bad for Jonathan Taves. Be better. Play harder. Play better defense. 
He's not been the same player this year, and maybe it's because he doesn't like the system, but guess what? The system is what it is, and it's what you're stuck with playing, so you better make the best of it. Pouting and whining is not going to help anything. I really hope that wasn't the case with Jonathan Taves on the bench. If you've got an issue with a coach, you don't do it in the sight of a camera. He should know better than that. If it was nothing, it was nothing, and I'm definitely allowing for it to be nothing. But again, connecting dots, seeing the way things have gone this year, knowing what we know about what was said when Jeremy Cowan was called to the ivory tower, as we put it, the players weren't happy with his communication methods. Well, guess what? Jonathan Taze is a captain. And I wrote in my book that I'm working on, I just wrote a chapter on Pierre Plot, who played a long time ago. And his job as captain was to go to management and report player grievances. One of his jobs as captain. I wonder if Jonathan Taves has the same duties, right? And you have to assume that the guys in the locker room, the Dennis Gilberts of the world, the Kirby Docs of the world, are following the leadership of guys like Taves and guys like Seabrook. They've got to set a better example. And if they're unhappy with their playing time, then so be it. Or if they're unhappy with the strategy, whatever, so be it. But I'm sorry. You just got to... You got to suck it up. You got to deal with the cards you've been dealt. And uh, I hope Jonathan Taves turns things around and stops complaining on the ice because it's really just a bad look for a guy like that. All right, let's go behind enemy lines as we do every game day. Got an email here, by the way, from Greg Troyer. Last Friday, I asked for some feedback on the podcast. And he said, I really like what you do with the statistics, but sometimes it can be tough because... The first half of the season was so bad that it skews the numbers. Why not do the 10 most recent games? And I think I'm going to start doing that. And because Greg did the work, we're going to use his work here on Lockdown Blackhawks today. So thank you, Greg, for running these numbers. Blackhawks versus Golden Knights again tonight at 9 p.m. These are all stats from Natural Stat Trick gathered by my guy, Greg Troyer. Thanks so much, Greg, especially on Talkback Tuesday for giving us some statistics to use. The record over the last 10, the Hawks are 3-5-2. That's tied for 24th in the NHL. The Golden Knights 5-3-2. That's tied for 11th in the NHL. Over the last 10 games, the Corsi 4 at 5-on-5. Five five. The Blackhawks are 12th with a 50.87%. Vegas 51-09. That's 10th in the league. Face-off percentage over the last 10. Blackhawks at 49.6. That's 18th. The Golden Knights 51.7. That's ninth goals per game. The Hawks are 28th at 2.1. Vegas is 21st at 2.4. Goals against per game. The Blackhawks are tied for 24th with a 3.2. Vegas 2.8. That's 18th. Power play. Over the last 10 games, the Hawks are ranked 15th with an 18.5 power play percentage. Vegas 23.1. That's 10th. And penalty kill. 78.8% for the Blackhawks, that's 21st, and 75%, that's 28th for the Golden Knights. So, Greg, great work. Appreciate it. I'm going to take your feedback and use it because I think your point is valid. We're looking at two different teams this year, and if we're going to go overall season, and really every team changes as the season goes on. So I think from here on out, we're going to do last 10 when doing our game preview. So I appreciate the feedback. I told all you guys... I would listen, I would take it to heart, and I'm going to do that. So hopefully the Hawks can pick up two points tonight against the Golden Knights and can get on a nice little roll here. If you're talking about them taking 
seven of the last eight available points, you feel pretty good about that, right? So let's hope the Hawks pick up a win tonight in Vegas. Again, 9 p.m. puck drop, late game, but I'll be there Wednesday morning with a brand new edition of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Jay Zawoski. We are part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.